0: church how many of y'all know and have seen in your life God make a way out of no way I love that song because it's so true so true he's a good God Let's turn in our Bibles to Isaiah 26. Isaiah 26. If you have a Bible or you need uh, to use your phone or tablet, whatever you got, Isaiah 26 is where we're going to be this morning. If you're new around here, we want to welcome you again. We're glad you could be our guest today at Strong Tower. Um, If you haven't had a chance to meet anybody uh, from our hospitality team, um, after service they will be in the back. We'd love to get to know you. If you could stop by for a moment, they've got a gift to just say, Thanks for coming and being our guest today. Isaiah chapter 26, we're going to read verses 1 through 8. If you're there, say amen. amen. Hear the reading of God's word. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates at the righteous nation that keeps faith, may enter in. You keep Him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because He trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. For He has humbled the inhabitants of the height, the lofty city. He lays it low, lays it low to the ground, casts it to the dust. The foot tramples it, the feet, of the poor, the steps of the needy. The path of the righteous is level. You make level the way of the righteous. In the path of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desire of our soul. Amen, amen. This is the word of the Lord. I want to tag our text today, The King's City. The King's City. Let's pray before we jump in. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you that your word is life to us. Where there's death, where there's decay, where there's discouragement, whatever may be happening in our life, Lord, your word comes in and by your spirit you breathe life. And so we ask as we uh, come before you today, where there may be dry bones, may you bring life. Bring life, Lord. Help us to walk in newness. Help us to see you more clearly. Help us to have our hope restored. And, and as we turn from our sin and turn towards you, we find that you are all we've ever desired, the desire of our soul. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You all may be seated. Recently, I was uh, on a flight to St. Louis this uh, this summer, earlier in the summer, and, and it was uh, my first flight since COVID. So, you know, everyone's getting on the plane and and you could tell for many others, it was their first flight uh, since COVID as well. so everyone's a little tense, a little, a little awkward. And, and uh, I get to my seat, and sitting next to me is a young man. He's a teenager, I would guess probably about 15 or so. And, and he looked extra tense. Uh, you could tell it wasn't just the, the surroundings of, of, of the difference of, of our times, but, but he just looked very uh, concerned. And so I sat down next to him, and he, he said hi. We exchanged. Uh, hello, and, and a little bit later, he looks over at me with terror in his eyes, and he, he, he said, what, what's going to happen? And I'm like, what do you mean, what's going to happen? He, he said, like, like, when we fly, what, what's going to happen? I said, oh, this is your, like, first flight ever. He said, yeah, it's my first time, never been on a plane before. And he had this mixture of, of wonder and terror. Like, he's looking forward to it, but he's not sure what it's going to be like. And, and so he, he's talking to me about it, and I'm talking to him and trying to calm his nerves a little bit. And then a few minutes later, we take off, and, and he has the biggest smile on his face. I mean, he's looking out the window. He's like, look at the clouds. I didn't know clouds had those many layers. And look at all the city you can see forever. I mean, he's just overwhelmed with joy until about like an hour later and we hit some turbulence and I didn't prepare him for the turbulence. (laughs) And so the the plane starts shaking and he's like, you know, mortified. He starts grabbing his chair and he's terrified. He looks over at me. He said, what what is this? I said, oh, it's just turbulence. He said, just turbulence? (laughs) He looked at me like I was crazy, like I wasn't panicking because the plane was going down. And I said, yeah, it's, it's just turbulence. You know, when you're on a plane, it, it feels like the plane is doing this and like, you know, it's about to flip over and you imagine the, the cockpit with the, with the pilots and they're all panicking, holding onto the steering wheel and they're shaking like this, like, oh, it's going to go down. But really what's happening is it's, it's like slight movements you could barely even notice. And if you were to go in the cockpit, the pilots are probably eating their breakfast, talking about how the orange juice is just a little off or something. Like, it's just real chill. Because it's just turbulence. And when you've been through it before, you realize that turbulence is is not as much of a safety issue. It's more of a convenience issue. Like, you might spill your coffee or your drink, and it might be a little uncomfortable, but the plane isn't going to go down. And so it's less about what's actually happening, it's more about how we are reacting, right? And so think about that as you think about our turbulent times that we're in, and and this is going to come to Isaiah's text here, because there's a lot of similarities between what the people in Isaiah's time were experiencing and what we're experiencing, right? I mean, these last 18 months have been hard. We've been through some, some hard things. We've been through a divisive election year. We've been through a global pandemic that continues, and many people thought it was about to end, and here we are again back up in the spike, and we're back on the roller coaster. We've been through racial trauma and violence and all kinds of confusion around international conflict and so many different things that, that if you stop and you think about it for a moment, you just think, wow, I've been through so much. All of us collectively have been through so much. And the strange thing is you you can't really hide from it, right? This is the kind of turbulence that you can't just put your head in the sand and pretend like nothing's going on and just stick to your role. You can't do that. Everywhere you turn, there's something happening, something going on, because we're all on the same plane together. It's it's all kind of shaking together. And you start to wonder, what's going to happen? Is it going to get worse is it going to get better? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to react? And this is what's happening in Isaiah's time. See, Isaiah is writing this prophecy to people who, who are experiencing mild turbulence, but the plane is, is about to crash. But they're, they're starting to feel it right now, and, and they're starting to get a little anxious, starting to worry. And, and he's writing in a time where, where things are shaking, and, and the world is changing, but they don't know what to do. They don't know how to respond, and so Isaiah, this prophet, he, he looks into the future. God gives him this vision where he sees not only the bad things that are coming, the judgment, like we talked about a few weeks ago, but, but the thing beyond the judgment, which is the restoration. So he looks into the future, and he sees what God is going to do to bring restoration, to bring redemption, and he sees two cities. And he sees one city that responds one way, and another city that responds a different way. And we're going to see these two cities, one is, is full of peace and the other is full of pride. And, and it helps us now, as, as he's getting this vision of the future, it, it helps us now in the present deal with the turbulence. It helps us realize what's really going on and how am I supposed to respond? And so I want to look at that today just briefly as we're we're together for the next few minutes. Uh, How are we supposed to live by faith in uncertain times? In the turbulence that we find ourselves in, how are we supposed to live now by faith? And so let's look first at the city of peace, if you're taking notes, the city of peace. Look at verse 1 with me. Isaiah begins like this, in that day, remember he's looking into what's coming. He says, in that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. I love that. Isaiah sees this this city that's resounding with a song that that this song is coming out of a strong city. And and he makes a very big point here. He's saying that it's strong not because of their own strength, not because of their own ability, but because what God has done to set up salvation to bring about their redemption. And he he describes it like a city that's fortified. It's got walls and bulwarks. It's it's completely secure around it. And it's not them, but it's God. And so remember, think about this. He's talking to people who are about to experience the destruction of their city. Their their worst days are ahead of them. They they don't fully understand how bad it's going to be. But he's saying, as you're about to experiencing that, and as you're already feeling a little bit of turbulence... Know that God is the one who brings security. Know that God is the one who, who brings about what he describes here as perfect peace. I love that. It, this is one of the most famous phrases in Isaiah's uh, book. He, he's famous for this phrase, you keep me in perfect peace. But, but the word is actually in, in the Hebrew, it's shalom, shalom. It's, it's double peace. In other words, the English translation doesn't know how to communicate that, and so we just say it's perfect peace. It's, it's peace beyond description, peace beyond uh, words, and the best way we can describe it is just to say it's, it's double peace. That, that's all we can say. Is it's, it's more than we can describe. But who's it for? That's the question. Who's it for? He says it's not, it's not just for everybody. He says it's, it's actually for those who, whose mind is stayed on God. You hear that? Whose mind is stayed on what God is going to do as, as we're experiencing trouble. He is going to bring about redemption. And so I am staying my mind. I'm fixing my focus on what is coming. I'm fixing my mind on the promise that God has made, that he is going to make all things new, that he is going to restore the fortunes of his people. He is saying, I'm staying my mind on that. And the word mind there isn't just like this single thought, like, hey, I had a really good idea about God, and it made me feel good, and, and then I moved on and I started thinking about some other things. It, it's more like a mindset mindset. Like, like a worldview. Like, I'm saying this, this is the way I look at life, that, that it's this conscious, continuous looking towards God. That's where peace comes from. See, peace focuses on the promises more than the problem. It, it focuses on God and what He has said more than the problem and what I'm feeling. Tom Amberry uh, was a guy who, who broke the world record, get this, for consecutive free throws made in 1993. Guess how many? 2,750 free throws in a row. Now, if you have ever tried to make free throws, you know the, the insanity of that number. Or, or 2,750 free throws in a row. And get this, he wasn't even a basketball player. He was a foot doctor. And get this, he was 71 when he made the record. 71. And it wasn't like he was in this like perfect setting with, with all full concentration. He was in the middle of a high school gym with a volleyball team practicing on the other end. So there's balls running around. There's people all over the place. The, the media showed up because he, he knew he was going to try for the record that day. So there's media and people walking around the gym. All this distraction And for 12 hours, that's how long it took him to make that many free throws, 12 hours straight, he made every single free throw. It's insane. Absolutely insane. 71. And this is what he said. He he said, because they were asking him, "How how do you do this? He said, I just stay in my routine of three bounces, focus and shoot. Simple as that, right? Three bounces, focus and shoot. Three bounces, focus and shoot. And get this, he didn't even miss the last one. They closed it down, shut the lights off, and closed the gym. They said, it's time to go home. You've been here 12 hours. And so he was 71 when he broke the record. After that, into his late 80s, he's passed now. He he continued to practice free throws for two hours a day, six days a week. And as they were doing this interview with him, kind of following up a decade later, they asked him, why do you continue to practice? And this is what he said, and this is where I'm, I'm going with this. He says, I'm not practicing my shot anymore. I have to practice my focus. At this point for me, it's not about form. It's all about focus. Did you hear that? At this point, it's, it's not about form for me. It's, it's all about focus because he knew... He knew that it was his focus that would keep his form in line. He knew that his focus is what keeps him engaged in the right things. And so he said, I need to have my focus on. Listen, here's what happens in our life. When, when we get our focus off, our focus will form us. It'll form us into something. And so we, we get our focus on all kinds of things. We get our focus on problems. We get our focus on the news. I mean, how many of us, the first thing you do when you wake up, you roll over in your bed, you grab your phone, and you get on social media? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> first, first thing you do, you, you open up Instagram or Twitter, and you're trying to get the daily download right from the start so you can get your little shot of, of uh, social media in your arm and get you waking up. But But you're you're bringing in all these stories that, that are literally formed. to craft, They are crafted to make you angry and afraid. And you ever notice that? You wake up and then all of a sudden you got a little anxiety and a little bit of anger and a little bit of self-righteousness towards so-and-so who did this and this person who did that and I can't believe this is happening. And now your whole day is set off in anger and fear. It's forming us. I mean, to be honest with you, most Christians in America today, in the technological world we live in, we are more formed by the news than by Jesus. Amen. It's the truth. We're, we're all susceptible to it because we give Jesus like two hours a week and then we give Facebook like 30. So some of y'all, you know, your phone counts that? Like, have you seen that where, where it'll count you? I mean, it's really bad. You, you get on there and you see how long you've spent on, on the Internet how long you spent on Facebook, how long you spent, and, and you're like, wow, where did all that time go? And then, and this is not to shame you, just to open your eyes a little bit, then you realize, I've read my Bible like 30 minutes this week. And, and we realize, like, we're, we're being discipled by the culture. We're, we're being formed. Like, th- those words are, are washing over us and, and forming our world, and it's taking our focus. And this is why Paul says in Romans 12, maybe the most difficult uh, command in Scripture today in the modern world, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Right? Where, where cultural formation is, is shaping us in, in fear and anger, and, and it's, it's focusing our mind on all the problems that are out there, Spiritual formation, Paul says, happens when we are focusing our mind not on all the problems, but the promises of God. You hear that? In other words, when when the world is trying to to form you by hatred, you have to go to Scripture so you can be formed by love. When the world is trying to form you by despair and hopelessness, you have to go to the Scripture to say, I have hope. When the world is trying to form you by, pick something, right? Anything, the the hatred, the fear, the anger, the the gluttony, all the things that is just washing over you, you go to Scripture because there's a different story. There's a different narrative. There's a different way that we get formed, but it takes our focus. It takes intentionality to say, I'm going to look at these things. My mind is going to be stayed on them long enough that it's going to change me. And at Strong Tower, uh, one of the ways we do that, if you've been around for a little while, we, we have this thing called the CBR Journal. And CBR stands for Community Bible Reading. So it's a journal designed specifically to help us read the Bible as a church together so that people are reading the same thing and can have conversations about the Bible in your small group, in your team that you serve on, and anything, right? The men's ministry, the women's ministry. Wherever you do life in our church, you can talk about the Bible in community. But the journal itself is designed around a, a specific kind of Bible reading. Because I've heard people over the years say, you know what, I, I really like to read my devotional because it just kind of gives me a, a quick little blur before I go off to work and encourages me. And, and that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. Or, or I like to, uh, you know, I like to read the Bible in a year. And so I'm reading four or five, six chapters a day and trying to make sure I read the whole Bible in a year. And again, that's not bad. That, that's wonderful. There's lots of ways to read the Bible. But the CBR Journal is designed for what Paul is talking about in in Romans chapter 12. It's the transformation of our mind by meditating on Scripture. By saying, I'm going to slow down long enough to be with God in His Word so that His Word forms me. So that His Word has the opportunity through His Spirit to, to change the way I think, to change the way I feel, to change the way I act. Because all the other hours in the day... I'm getting formed by my job, by my friends, by social media, by the news. Everywhere in my life, they are speaking into my life. I need a place in my life where God can speak to me. Where I can slow down long enough and know that He's with me. He's with me in my failures. He's with me in my fears. He's with me in my anxiety. He's with me when when I don't know what to do. He's with me when I'm confused. He's with me. Right? The, the goal of this kind of Bible reading is not to come away with like, you know, six principles that I can now put into practice to make me a better Christian. The, the goal of this kind of Bible reading is presence, it's, it's to be in God's presence. As the Bible says, he, he is God Emmanuel, He is God with us, He is God in the midst. He is God who who enters in and He wants that kind of relationship with us through His Word so that His Word can be what what helps us to to dwell with Him, to abide in Him, to to know His promises, to soak in His promises so that we sit long enough in one place to know that He is with us, to to slow down long enough to know that His truth is renewing our mind. But, But it takes that kind of effort That kind of work. I heard someone say one time that that grace is not opposed to to works. It's just opposed to earning our salvation by works. In other words, it's going to take work for us to have our mind on God, it's not going to be natural. And and if we don't find ourselves living in this kind of peace that comes from, from focusing our minds on him, what, what Isaiah says is we'll be living in a different city. We'll be living in the city of pride. And this is the second point. Look at verse 5, the city of pride. It says, For he has humbled the inhabitants of the height, the lofty city. He lays it low, lays it low to the ground, casts it to the dust. Now, there was a, a church father named St. Augustine. He was, he was a bishop in the early church in Africa, northern Africa, and he, he lived through the fall of the Roman Empire. So you can imagine uh, this vast Roman Empire coming to, to uh, you know, fall and, and crumble down to, to basically nothing like it was before, and everybody's panicking. People are worrying, what's going to happen? Because life as they knew it was, was going to change, and, and they had only known one way of life. And so Into this context, Augustine writes what he uh, would, would later call the City of God. And it's one of his classic works, and he's dealing with this issue, trying to make sense of the world they now live in, and he comes up with these two categories. He calls them two cities or two realities. He's got the City of God and the City of Man. And and it's fascinating how he brings this out of the Scriptures. It's a a biblical concept that he kind of summarizes and then reflects on the culture of his time. But but he says that you can tell the difference based on their loves. That the city of God has one kind of love, and the city of man has a different kind of love. The city of God has a love for God and, and His Word and who He is, and the city of man has a love for themselves. It's a God-love versus a self-love. And this is what Isaiah picks up right here, and he uses this same language of two cities. He's got a strong city versus a lofty city. A lofty city here represents the world organized without God. It's a world where uh, you have a different trust. The the, uh, strong city is trusting in the Lord for the salvation, but the lofty city is trusting in themselves. And in fact, in Isaiah's uh, context here, in chapter 7 through 39, he's actually getting even more specific. It's not just that they're trusting in themselves, they're trusting in their ability to make allies with other nations. So Judah, as they were experiencing this pressure from outward threats, they're now looking around to their neighbors and saying, who can protect us? Can Egypt protect us? Can, can this person protect us? Can this person? And so they're trusting in the nations around them. They're hoping, listen, they're, follow me, they're hoping that their political allies can save them. They're in the lofty city. And God says, right here in chapter 26, He said, if that's where you're putting your trust, if you're going to elevate yourself and look for the nations to save you, you're about to come down. And he says the lofty are going to become the lowly. In fact, you're going to be all the way to the bottom at the dust. In other words, what he's saying is God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And, and if, if you're going to live with this kind of pride, you're going to find out it's a lie. Because pride believes the lie that there's strength within me. Pride believes the lie that, that my strength lies somewhere else. It's either in me or it's in someone else, but it's not in God. And and Isaiah brings this up later. Uh, He he moves from poetry in this part of his book into narrative in chapter 36. We're not going to get to cover it, so I'm going to talk about it today because we're going to move on to chapter 40. There's 66 chapters. Uh, I wish we can cover every single verse of Isaiah, but it's a lot. Uh, So in 36, he moves to narrative. And he gives an example of this very passage in the life of Hezekiah, who was the king of Judah. And Hezekiah is is reigning in Judah, and while he's reigning, uh, there's this threat from the Assyrian army. Sennacherib was the king of Assyria, and he comes in and he sends his highest-ranking official, this guy called the Rabshakeh, and he sends the the Rabshakeh to kind of go taunt Judah and feel it out to see if they're willing to just fold on the spot. And so he shows up and all the people are gathered around and the Rabshakeh has hundreds of thousands of soldiers. Hundreds of thousands of soldiers show up to Judah and they're knocking on the door and they say, hey, we're here to take over. And they're like, what, what are you talking about? What, what, what are you doing? And, and he says, well, where's your trust going to lie? I mean, what are you, you going to do about us? That, that's his question to, the, to them. Where, where is your trust going to be? Because if you think your trust is going to be in Egypt. You're sorely, mist- you're sorely mistaken because, I mean, look at Pharaoh. He, he's already fallen and he's got no power. This, this is not going to go well for you. Oh, oh, you, you think your trust is going to be in the Lord. Well, what about all those other nations we've conquered? They trusted in their God. And what makes you think your God is better than their God? You, you don't want to trust in your God. Oh, you think you're going to trust in your king, Hezekiah? Well, Look at his army. It's pathetic. Look at our army. I mean, this is the taunting that he's doing back and forth. And each time he makes a point and he taunts them further and further, now they're getting smaller and smaller, and they realize maybe he's right. Maybe maybe we don't have anything to trust. And they tear their clothes in fear and despair and give up. I mean, it's this moment where they, they realize, where, where does my trust rest? What, what is it that, that I can put my life on the line and know it's trustworthy? And they didn't have an answer. The question was, were they going to live in the city of God or were they going to live in the city of man? Because when troubles arise, listen to me, when troubles arise, it, it's going to expose your trust. It's going to expose what you are trusting. It's going to expose where our peace lies. It's going to expose where our strength comes from. And so I want us to ask, where where does your strength come from? What do you do when trouble comes your way? This is actually a similar question to what uh, my counselor asked this past week I've been going to a counselor the last couple months and been really helpful just trying to process I got to the point where I was like I don't even know how to make sense of the chaos we're living in I need to talk to somebody and so I started talking to a counselor and and his his questions have been so helpful for me but this week he asked me where do you turn when you get stressed and he, he told me to start taking a journal to just notice in my own life when, when I get stressed where where do I go what what fills my mind what what emotions kind of overcome me what what habits do I turn to what what do I do when I'm stressed when the trouble starts rising in me what he's getting at is it's going to expose what you're really trusting it's going to expose this this is what I'm really after this is what I'm really relying on and start noticing those things what what would you say because for me what I've started to notice just the last couple days is what I'm really trusting in is my control. My ability to control the circumstances, and, and so I feel a lot better if, if I got a handle on something, if I can understand it, if I feel like I can, I can do that, I can, I can make sense of this, then, then yeah, I feel a lot better, but, but when it's beyond me, when it's something that's a threat that's greater than what I think I can handle, then I start to feel a lot more stress. Then I start to feel as if this is not going to work because what it's exposing in me is what city I'm living in. It's exposing that I'm not living in the city of God like I thought I was. I'm living in this lofty city. And what, what, what it's exposing in me and probably in you is what I really want is I want peace without the Prince of Peace. I, I want the city of God without God. I mean, Mark, Mark Sayers is an author. He, he, wrote, he wrote about this and has talked about it in multiple things. He, he uses this phrase. He says, in a secular society, one that's built without God, we want the kingdom without the king. In other words, what he's saying is we, we want all the benefits. We, we want all the, the things that, that look as if God is working and our life is flourishing and things are comfortable and things are secure. And, and we want all of that. Even in the secular society, there's something deep within us as human beings that we want this kingdom of God. We just want it without Him. We, we, we want everything but Him. And what it's exposing is, I really want all those things to happen in my own strength. I want all those things to happen in my own effort, my own ability, so that I can look back on it and say, look at what I did. Look at how responsible I was. Look at how wise I was. Look at how good I was. I was able to overcome this. It really plays into my pride until I come up against a threat that, that I can't. And, and you're like Judah, and, it, and you hear somebody that you realize, you know what, they, they are stronger than me. And listen, it, it might be a marriage that's failing, it might be a kid that's gone crazy, it might be a job that let you go, it might be anything, like it, but whatever it is, it's going to be something. Someone once said that you're either coming out of suffering, or you're in suffering, or you're headed into suffering. Like you're either in one of those three stages because we live in a fallen world where you can't avoid the turbulence. And so it's going to at some point expose you. And this is why pride in my own life and in probably your life, too, can make you some of the most anxious people. Some of the most anxious people because we're just waiting for the moment that we get exposed. That we're weaker than we would ever admit. And when you get to that point and you have no other thing to trust besides yourself or some other powerful thing, you'll tear your clothes because you don't know what to do. What do I do? What do I do when everything I knew fell apart? What do I do when I come up against something I I have no ability, no knowledge, nothing to offer the situation? How do, you, how do you go from the anxious city of pride to this city of God that's full of peace? He says right here, there's, there's a gate to the city. And this is the last point, the city gates. Look at verse 7. It says, The path of the righteous is level. You make level the way of the righteous and the path of your judgments, O Lord. We wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desire of our soul. Listen, when you hear that, you got to see it with the eyes of faith because this is not sight. What he's describing, remember, is to people who are about to enter into their darkest days. But he's looking back on the situation because he's seeing into the future and he's saying, This is what you're going to sing. You're going to sing a song in the future where you'll look back and you're going to say, That path was level. Yeah. And you'll think, What? You're crazy. That was not a level path. You didn't see that big valley. And it's like Psalm 107, where the psalmist says this He led them by a straight way until they reached a city to dwell in. The psalmist is talking about the wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. That's not a straight way. They went like this for 40 years. And then when he looks back on it, he says, He led them straight, right to the city. What's happening? He's looking with eyes of faith to say, in in retrospect, the rough places look smooth. In retrospect, I see God working where the valleys look level. I see God working in such a way that the troubles look actually calmer than than I felt like they were because now I can see more clearly. And so what is my my role now? What am I supposed to do so I can get to that point where I can look back in in that way I wait. I wait. See, this is the key contrast between the city of God and the city of man. In the city of God, we're waiting. In the city of man, we're constantly working. We're constantly striving, constantly trying to make something happen, constantly trying to fit this square peg in a round hole. Like We're, we're just constantly trying to make it, make it, make it. But in the city of God, you wait. It's built not by working, but by waiting. By waiting. And in verse 2 he says, Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. See, we enter by waiting. We wait for the day when he will make his name known among the nations. We wait for the day when he will bring about his justice and righteousness in all the earth. We wait for the day that he will show up and show out for his people because that's what faith does. Faith walks with God while we wait on God. It walks with them while we're waiting. So what happened to Isaiah or to uh, Hezekiah and the people, right? They, they tear their clothes after he describes this, this tragedy that's come in their way. And then the people go right to Hezekiah and they say, Hey, the Assyrians are coming and it's going to wipe us out. And Hezekiah starts to panic a little bit. And then he sends for Isaiah the prophet and he says, This is going to happen. What should we do? And Isaiah tries to comfort him a little bit and say, No, don't. Don't freak out. This is what God is doing. But while Isaiah is talking to him, the crisis is getting worse. Sennacherib is is getting impatient, and he decides to get involved himself. So he sends a personal letter to King Hezekiah, outlining all the people he's conquered before him, and says, you're going to be next. And Hezekiah, now, he just can't handle that. He's like, "I, I don't know what to do. So he takes the letter... And he goes to the house of God. And the Bible says he falls down on his knees and he lays the letter before God in his presence and he prays. And it's his way of saying this, God, I've come to the end of my strength. I've come to the end of my ability. I've come up against a threat that, that I can't deal with. I need you to do it for me. I need you to step in and bring redemption. I need you to step in and bring salvation. I need you to build a city with walls and bulwarks that I can't build because you have strength that I don't have. And God shows up and he wipes out their army and sends them home in one morning. God showed up. Listen, God was working while Hezekiah was waiting, right? It seemed like everything was lost. It seemed like this was the end. It seemed like God had abandoned them, but the truth didn't match the trouble that they saw. The truth is God was working, right? It's the same thing that happens at the cross, That the, the unfolding of that frightful night, that frightful Friday at Calvary. The Son of God was here, but it seemed like God wasn't doing His work. It seemed like God had forgotten them because before they knew what happened, their king was on a cross. Their king was uh, crowned with a crown of thorns. His body was naked in shame. His back was covered in lashes. How could God let this happen? The Assyrians are right here. Jesus is on the cross. It looked like God was losing. It looked like the enemy was winning. It looked like hope was slipping. It looked like God was missing and had abandoned the plane. But where was he? The truth is, God was working. While they were waiting, God was working in the strangest of ways. Death. Death. See, the story wasn't what they thought it was. The truth is the blood on Jesus' face was for our forgiveness. The truth is the bruises on his back were for our redemption. The truth is the body in the grave was for our life. The truth is the goodness of God was present on the darkest day. The truth is God was opening the city gate through his son Jesus dying on a cross. See, it's the work of Jesus that gives us this perfect peace. It's the work of Jesus that keeps our minds stayed on the promise. It's the work of Jesus that puts us on the level path. See, for us, the truth is, Jesus is more than enough. He's more than enough for our anxiety. He's more than enough for our fears. He's more than enough for my pride, for my addiction, for my loneliness, for my emptiness, for my marriage, for my money, whatever it may be. Every trial, every doubt, every hurt, every sin, every disappointment, everything. Jesus is more than enough because he's the fullness of God. He's the fullness of God. He's the strength of God. He's the gate. He's the gate that God gives to say, come, you, you can live in this city now. You can have this perfect peace now. And so as we close, I, I just want to ask you, which, which city are you living in? Are, are you living in the city of pride that leads to anxiety and fear and anger? Or are you living in this city of God that leads to peace and flourishing? Shalom, shalom. Are you living in that? Because God is saying, if you find yourself in in the city of pride and you're full of anxiety and you don't know how to handle this because you've trusted in yourself this whole time and now it's all crumbling, I've opened the gate for you. I've opened the gate and the way you come in is trust. Trust in my son Jesus. Trust in what he's done. Trust in the work that he's accomplished, the salvation that he has set up, because it will bring you security that you can't build yourself. Because he's a God beyond our strength. He's a God who sees the threat that you're facing, and he laughs. Because he knows no threat is greater than him. You can trust him. Will you come into his city today? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we can only imagine what it must have been like to be on that hill as you were hanging on the cross and all your disciples, all the followers, your own family members looking at you in absolute confusion, wondering how could this happen? How could, how could God let this Come about that that the one who was supposed to save us is now dying in front of us. How, how could we get such a terrible situation that none of us can fix? None of us know what to do, none of us understand, and yet the whole time, Lord, you were in charge. The whole time you you were not taken advantage of, but you said you laid down your life on your own accord. No one can take it from you. And so it was all according to plan. It was just a little turbulence, even the cross. Even the cross. As we look back and we see you accomplish your greatest work through the greatest suffering, through the greatest pain, through the greatest confusion, you have worked. And so, Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes to see that our mind might be full of that. That as we come against. Trials and tribulations. We come against confusing times. We have family members who are in the hospital. We have marriages that are crumbling. We have friendships that are on the rocks. But whatever it may be, Lord, we can look to you and know that you are a God who's experienced all that and more. You know what it's like to suffer and cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet you laid it at your Father's side and you spread it out and you trust it. And so we trust you and we ask that your spirit would birth in us that same trust that we might know you in it. The desire of our soul, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet.